Welcome to the Mindful Sobriety Podcast with your hosts, Jane and Amanda. I'm Jane, a licensed psychotherapist and alcohol-free retreat host. And I'm Amanda, alcohol-free lifestyle coach and yoga instructor. We're so glad you're here. Hi, Jane. How are you today? Hey, I am doing well, Amanda. How are you? I'm good. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Yes, I love these uh, weekly sessions we get to visit and catch up and talk about things that we're both passionate about. Yes, I love it. I love it so much. All right. Well, tell me a little bit about yourself. Where are you from and that type of thing? Yeah. So I grew up in a small-ish Texas town city slash city in North Texas. Um, one of three girls. I'm a middle child and had just what you would consider a pretty uh, average traditional growing up. Um, now I am a mom of three myself. I've got a, a son who is 10 and a daughter who's eight and a daughter who's five and have been here in Dallas for about 15 years. So, so that's a little awesome. bit of my context. Yeah. Context. Yeah, you have an adorable family. Oh, so thank you. How did you, how did drinking come into your life? Like how old were you? And tell me about all of that. So I first drank pretty early in my teenage years. I grew up in, well, I was a teenager in the nineties. I uh, was in high school during the mid nineties. And that was just kind of a normal part of our culture, alcohol and drinking and kind of going out, we would, uh, drive out to people's land, like their, their dad's hunting lease. And we would build a fire and, uh, drink beer out there. Um, I was actually reading a statistic the other day that said the nineties were kind of like this peak time period of teenage drinking. And I was like, Oh, that's great. That's, that's when I uh, happened to be a teenager and I was very much steeped in that culture. Um, but I would say that it was pretty quote unquote normal looking drinking for my friend group. Um, I had minimal consequences and, and still, you know, was very much engaged in high school life and academics and activities and, and that sort of thing. And then went on to college right after high school and continued kind of in that, on that same path of just, you know, alcohol was just a regular part of socializing. I don't know that it ever even occurred to us to socialize without alcohol. It was at every party or, you know, social event. Yeah. What you said about um, the article you read and the 90s generation really uh, going all in with alcohol, basically, the one good thing, positive thing about that, I think, is that hopefully this generation of kids, which is our kids, maybe yes. they will not be as into drinking. And I don't think they are, honestly. I don't think they are. I think that with every subsequent generation, like I'm uh, on the tail end of Gen X and every generation behind Gen X, I think, drinks less and less, which is mm -hmm. awesome. So the children of the Gen Xers and the millennials will be setting a good example, I think, for, for their parents. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So how, how did your alcohol consumption increase over time? Yeah, I would say that 
you know, it really didn't necessarily increase over time. Funnily enough, it kind of fluctuated depending on what was going on in my life at the time. I drank, I didn't get married until my thirties. I was 33 when I got married. And so I, you know, kind of drank throughout my twenties and early thirties socially. You know, I did have some experiences that were negative, like blackouts and feeling hungover or saying or doing things that I regretted later. And, you know, waking up with that feeling of anxiety of, you know, that guilt and shame and regret and ruminating about who I said what to. Um, and then really about 12 years ago, I would say I, I had an experience that kind of shifted how I approached life. And that experience was my mom being diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer that was in 2012. And I'll never forget when she shared with me, I was driving home from work. I was in my car and I was almost home. And I can't even remember the exact words she said, but she basically described this scan that she had received the results of that showed tumors throughout her abdomen. And she was sharing what the doctor said. And it's like, I just went into shock, you know, like where you, you kind of have this almost like dissociative outer body experience where you feel disconnected from reality. And then I remember like the next day there was oddly like this weird amount of freedom. And I read a little bit about this phenomenon later when people have these horrible things happen that they sometimes experience what's called an awakening experience where all of a sudden you can see life clearly and with a different perspective. It's almost like the things that you worry about and that you stress about and that occupy so much space in your mind and so much of your mental energy, you're able to see that they don't matter. You know, like the things I was worried about at the time, that was that was before I was married to Kyle. We were dating and I used to compulsively exercise back then. And so I would stress about when am I going to get my next workout in? And Oh, I didn't work out today. And, and then all of a sudden I had this freedom of like, who gives a shit if I worked out or not? You know, like my mom is probably going to die. Like you realize that these little things that we have so much distress about are actually pretty meaningless in the grand scheme of life. And so that I think was kind of like a, a branching off from the path I was on, just this subtle change in direction, this shift that began planting the seeds of, I want to do things differently. And I want to focus on what really matters. And, you know, my mom died at the age of 64, which is 20 years older than I am now. And you realize, like, I may not have, you know, a 90-year-long life. I don't know how much time I have. Maybe I won't even have 64. Maybe she's lucky and I'll have less than that. And so I want to be intentional about how I spend my time and how I treat the people who I come into contact with. And it just got me into this kind of, like, spiritual journey for lack of a better word, that kind of led me to 12 years, well, I guess 11 years later, deciding to give up alcohol. 
around that time in my early thirties, I was, I still drank, um, but it was less and less. So I was engaged and then I eventually got married and then got pregnant with my son two months into marriage. And then for the rest of my thirties, I was focused on my career and my marriage and building our family. And also during that time span, I, my mom died about two years after I got married and my mother-in-law was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer pretty soon after we got married and she died 11 days before my mom died. So we experienced a lot of, uh, loss. I like to say that period of my life was like the best of times and the worst of times. My babies were being born. I got married. Um, I was building this life, but also I was losing my mom who had been like the closest person to me. You know, no one really loves you like your mom. And she was always for me, always supportive. And then seeing my husband lose his mom and my children not having a grandmother. It was just, it was an intense time period. And so drinking kind of came and went, but I would say that there weren't a lot of issues with my drinking during that decade of my thirties. No, (laughs) no. I'm so grateful that you're sharing this part of your story with, with me and with everyone. And it just, what comes to my mind is it, this is one of those things that happens in life where, you know, like life will never be the same again. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have to be good or bad. It's just never, it's definitely not going to be the same. Right. It's that kind of thing where there is a before and an after, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. a very stark divide. I remember waking up in the middle of the night, the day that I, the day after I found out about her diagnosis and waking up and for a second you don't remember and then it hits you again that like this isn't a bad dream like this is really life like this is really happening and um it's just such like a like to me that is the denial and shock of grief yeah i feel like we we have a lot of similarities and a lot of things that are different but mm-hmm. one thing that is definitely similar is you lost your mom i lost yeah. my dad my dad was 42, so he was young. Gosh. And right after my dad passed away, a year later, which is similar in time to when you had kids after your mom passed, yes. I had my son a year after my dad passed. Oh my gosh. Isn't that interesting? Like the way something can be taken away, and then, but there's always something that's going to come into your life and feel that pain or that hole in your heart. And I feel like, you know, the timing of those things was, you know, not by accident for sure. And I can't even imagine going through the loss of my mom if I hadn't have had my husband. My son was born, he was 13 months old when when my mom passed away. So she did, he was her first grandchild. So she did get to have that experience and we have those pictures and those memories of her getting to take care of him and love him. And then my daughter, my second child was born exactly one year and one day after my mom passed. So that was just such a gift too, that, you know, that time period of her 
the anniversary of her passing now is also a joyful time when we celebrate my daughter's birthday. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Yeah. So what would you say is the turning point for you and in, in where you started to explore a sober journey? So pandemic, I think was a little bit of a turning point for me in terms of my relationship with alcohol. I turned 41 right after the pandemic hit. And for that first year, I think I actually, you know, a lot of people were drinking more, but I don't think I drank more in the beginning. And I think part of that is that for me, drinking was always a way to cope with a little bit of social anxiety not necessarily that I had social anxiety disorder, but I think I had some just, I was a shy kid. I'm an introverted person. I'm more reserved and it helped me kind of loosen up and come out of my shell and I could feel a little bit free. And with lockdown and social distancing, I didn't need alcohol, <laughs> you know, to help me socialize. So I drank less in the beginning. 22. My sister went through a divorce in January of 2022. And I am not blaming her for my behavior, I, I, my behavior, but the circumstance was that she, um, she was going out more. She was socializing more and I was socializing with her. And with that came alcohol. And I had a couple of specific instances where I drank too much and my memory was spotty and I felt horribly hungover the next day. And it just did not align with how I wanted to live my life. I didn't want to be the mom who is irritable and hungover. And I didn't want to be the mom who is modeling that socializing is always paired with a drink in my hand. Um... We used to go every Friday night, we would eat Mexican food at a, just a local uh, restaurant in our neighborhood. And my husband and I would always have a margarita. And then sometimes we'd split a second one. Sometimes we'd just have a second one ourselves. And one Friday night, I was getting my daughter to bed and kissing her goodnight. She was six at the time. And she she's, has a very sensitive nose. And she always has since like the time she could barely talk. She's always telling us what she can smell. And she told me I smelled like wine and it just hit me like, oh, I don't, I don't want my daughter to think I smell like alcohol. It just, it just struck me. It's kind of like that dagger in the heart, you know, and that mom guilt that hits you in that really painful way. And so that planted a seed. And then I think like the couple of incidences with my sister planted a seed where I kind of thought those days of partying and acting irresponsible and having blackouts and massive hangovers, I, I kind of thought of that as like, you know, what I did back in my 20s and maybe a little bit in my 30s, but not as a 40-something mom of three. It just didn't, it didn't feel right. I had a lot of cognitive dissonance about that. It didn't fit with who I felt like I am as a person. And remind me, did your mom drink at all or... You know, it's funny. She did not drink at all. She had migraines. She always struggled with migraines. And if she had even like, you know, two ounces of alcohol, she would be in bed with a migraine the next day. So she just never drank. And my dad 
drinks. He, he drank throughout my childhood. I don't remember drunkenness in my home, though, growing up. Um, I can remember being like a really young kid, and he would hand me his empty beer can and let me take the last sip and then go bring him a new beer. So I had tasted alcohol early on. And then also I'm Episcopalian, so we drink wine at communion. And I can remember as like a five or six-year-old, I loved the taste of the wine. And I would take the sip and I would hold it in my mouth once we got back to the pew and hold it in my mouth for as long as I could because it just was, I thought it was so good. Uh, So I do have some early memories of drinking and alcohol and that sort of thing. But in terms of like me parenting the way my mom parented, she didn't drink. And I always felt safe and knew she was consistently who she was. And, and I wanted my children to have that from me. So that in combination with I, around 2021, I guess a year into the pandemic, I started also doing some of my own therapy. And I was doing a lot of work looking at my faith and my religion and some beliefs that I had some doubts about and kind of gave myself permission to look at some of that stuff and deconstruct and reconstruct. And I was just feeling like I was in this really good place spiritually. And then I would drink and then I would start feeling disconnected spiritually. And I didn't like that. You know, it was like, oh, it kind of like throws me off and takes me a few days to kind of get back into this centered place where I feel peace. And um, I don't know, just like feeling centered and feeling good and feeling like I have the accurate perspective of what, you know, what my purpose is and what's important for me to be concerned with and what's important for me to let go and not be concerned with. And drinking seemed to kind of muddle those waters and distract me and lead to feelings of insecurity or doubt. Mm -hmm. So I had this interesting experience that I have labeled an epiphany where I woke up one morning, it was a Monday morning. And the day before we had taken my son and about 15 of his buddies there were he was turning nine to play paintball. And, you know, I'd loaded up the minivan with half of them and it was a 30 minute drive away. And we played paintball for hours and then came back and did cake and all the things And as you can imagine, there was a lot of stimulation, a lot of noise, a lot of, uh, you know, fun. But me as an introverted person, I was super overstimulated by the time the party was over and my nerves were shot. And I was like, you know what? I really just need a glass of wine to kind of like, you know, really in a sense, like turn down the volume of all the stimulation. I think that's one of the things that alcohol did for me was it would very quickly and easily, with no effort, turn down the volume on stimulation. And so I had a glass and a half of wine, and I remember thinking, I don't feel any better. Okay. And so I went to bed, and I woke up the next morning, and as I was getting ready for work, it just hit me. Like, whatever benefit I am going to get from alcohol, I have already gotten. You know, I... I don't think that alcohol is evil or immoral. It's not anything about morality. It's just whatever I'm going to get from it, I've gotten. And anything further from here on out, the cost is going to outweigh the benefit. 
And I could see that with absolute clarity. And with it came this sense of peace. And all of a sudden, this total detachment from alcohol. Like I no longer was worried about, well, what if I'm boring? Or what if people don't want to hang out with me? Or what if I miss it too much? Or what, I mean, what would life be like if I never had another margarita? Like all that stuff didn't matter anymore. It was just like I was free from it. And so it felt like this spiritual experience, similar to what people describe in 12-step programs, where like this desire for something is just removed from you. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. When you said you had gone out for, with your son's buddies and you felt overstimulated, mm-hmm. I remember feeling like that sometimes. And I would always think like, what's wrong with me? You know, like, why do I feel yeah. this way? And don't you think it's interesting? Like part of this mindful lifestyle is like recognizing I feel overstimulated. Yeah. So let me just breathe or let me go take a shower or, you know, whatever you're doing to get past that instead of yes. judging it. Instead and of feeling having- guilty, like something's mm-hmm. wrong with me. I should be enjoying myself and mm-hmm. celebrating my son and loving every moment. And it's like, I can, I can celebrate him. And I can also attend to myself and notice like, this is a lot for this highly sensitive person, introvert over here. I'm doing my best. And, you know, even if you like go sit in the car for five minutes and breathe and close your eyes and meditate, that can, that can be helpful. Yeah. And I think most people that experience that overstimulation, especially at a kiddo's birthday party, our first thought is like, why am I not enjoying myself? And like Mm -hmm. the direct judgment on ourselves instead of just like, okay, this is just a part of who I am. Let me go meditate five minutes, come back. And then I'm going to be enjoying myself again. Exactly. Instead, it's like (laughs) something's wrong with me or I'm selfish or a better mom wouldn't feel this way. You know, stuff like that, that we tell ourselves that is not accurate and not helpful. Yeah. So I guess meditation would be one of the tools you used when you quit drinking. Is there, are there any other tools you used? Yeah. So meditation was a piece of it. Um, Moving my body, like getting out of my head and getting back into my body, whether that's through yoga or I love to go to the lake near our house and run on the trail, being outside, um, any, really any kind of activity that you can really observe yourself doing movement is I think super helpful and super healing. The other thing that was really helpful to me was learning, gaining information. I started listening to podcasts. I started following Sober Curious and Sober People on social media. I started reading books. Um, You know, I've always been pretty health conscious, especially after losing my mom and my mother-in-law to cancer. So I've always been really aware of like what, what increases your risk and alcohol is one of the things that increases your risk. And I knew that the American cancer society had this recommendation of women shouldn't have more than seven drinks a week unless they want to increase their risk. Well, now research is coming out that there is no safe amount of alcohol consumption and that alcohol is a classified one carcinogen And that as little as seven drinks a week can increase your risk of breast cancer by 15% because it increases estrogen. It's a, it's an endocrine disruptor. 
which is kind of scary. I don't want anything messing with my hormones, especially at this age. Um, but it leads to seven different types of cancer. It also leads to neurodegeneration. My grandmother died of Alzheimer's and I witnessed that at the age of 18. It was horrible. Um, it leads to cardiovascular issues like AFib and high blood pressure and increases risk of cardiac events. I really don't want that either. And it's um, not good for metabolic health. You know, when you look at like blood sugar and insulin resistance and diabetes, and those are kind of the four <laughs> main issues that, that people die from. Most people die from one of those four kind of related issues or their quality of life is significantly decreased at the end of their life because of those issues. And so for me, that's a huge motivator that not only is this better for me as a person emotionally and spiritually, but it's like probably one of the best things I can do for my physical health and to increase my health span, like the amount of time that I feel good. You know, I want to feel good when I'm 80. Yeah. I think that's a lot of what this really just comes down to is just wanting to feel good. Mm -hmm. It's kind you of know. like ironic that we drank because we wanted to feel good, mm -hmm. but it made us mm -hmm. feel worse. And now we've given up alcohol and we've learned how to feel good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a complete mind, mind game we played with ourselves, like to Absolutely. have a stressful day, come home, have wine because we were stressed out, have, you know, 30 minutes of relaxation. And then, you know, then we're on this spiral and then the next day we feel terrible. Yes. So yeah, it's definitely a mind game and it's, uh, you know, we're, we've been taught by the media that, you know, this is the solution to all of our problems. <laughs> yeah. There's been some absolutely <clears throat> brilliant marketing done by the alcohol industry to, uh, yeah. make us feel like it's absolute fact that alcohol is the path to fun and sophistication and fine dining and connection and romance and all the things. And, and it's just an illusion. And I think viewing it also from a stance of curiosity, like what would happen? What would happen if I gave up alcohol for a year mm -hmm. and just let myself self feel everything unfiltered, you know, like the raw emotion of life. What if I just felt it all? that could be kind of exciting too, like its own kind of like novel experience, you know, sobriety is not boring. It's freaking fascinating. Yeah. That would be a really good challenge for anyone. Like, especially if anyone is feeling going to events and feeling overstimulated or you're just an introvert and you, you know, you're not super comfortable in social settings, just allowing yourself to get curious and find out what you're actually feeling. What do you need? What does your body need? In social settings, once you get there, if you give yourself 30 minutes, likely you will warm up. It's just those first few minutes, but we never get to experience that truth because we go in and we immediately have a drink and it's ingested within 30 minutes. And then we think the alcohol has done it for us when really we would have come to that place on our own. It may have been a little bit more uncomfortable and a little bit slower, but we would have gotten there. Give it yeah. time. Yeah. Um, all right. So I know you have a Bali retreat coming up. Can you tell me what inspired you to lead that retreat? Yes. Yes. So I was talking about the things that were influential or helpful for me along the way. And as I was listening to podcasts and following various people on social media, 
I found Megan and heard her on a podcast talking about this retreat she was leading in Bali. And I love traveling. I love a good adventure. Um, so I was, I was super interested, but didn't see how I could make it happen. Just time financially leaving my job and my family for that amount of time to travel, you know, across the world. But I tucked it in the back of my mind and then she posted something about it several weeks later. And I thought, gosh, I really want to go. And I'm actually really proud of myself. I think at that point I'd been alcohol free for about three months and I was like, I'm, I'm proud of myself and I want to, I want to reward myself. I think that we all need rewards. And so I mentioned it to my husband and he wasn't like super enthusiastic in the first 24 hours. And I was like, okay, I get it. You know, I, if you wanted to fly around the world to Bali, I probably wouldn't be super enthusiastic either. I get it. But the next morning he was like, you know what, if this is something that you really want to do and something that you think will be helpful for you, just, just do it and we'll figure it out. We'll make it work. And I was yeah. so grateful. I was like, okay, okay, I'm doing this. So I paid my deposit and started looking at flights and then I just kind of tucked it away. And I still, at that point, I don't think I was telling very many people I wasn't drinking anymore. I wasn't really sure, like, is this forever? Like, what am I doing with this? Do I want to commit to this? What if I fail? What will people think? And, you know, then there's the, the stigma of being sober where people are like, oh, well, something horrible must have happened. Like, what happened? Or, you know, are you an alcoholic or this or that? And so I just wasn't really ready to answer those questions. So I, I just didn't really tell many people I was going to Bali. Didn't, you know, I had told a few people I wasn't drinking, but you know, it's funny in social settings, most people just don't notice. I remember the week I quit drinking, I went to a neighborhood happy hour. I went to like a, a mom PTA event that had alcohol and, you know, I just get like a sparkling water with a lime and no one, no one's wanting to know what's in your cup. They're like um, vodka soda. <laughs> yeah, vodka soda. Woohoo. Uh, but so I didn't tell anyone. And then April came when the retreat was scheduled and I went. And there's something about being in a culture that is completely different. So I got to Bali and it was just kind of like this surreal experience, you know, flying across the planet all by myself. You know, I show up to the airport and my driver, Wyan, has his little sign and comes and, and gets me. And then I'm, you know, going through Ubud, five o'clock traffic, basically, and there's motorbikes weaving in and out. And you just feel like you're in a completely different world. Like, the air smells different and it's like heavy with humidity and there's tropical plants everywhere and so much to see and hear and you can smell like street food cooking and um, there's so much activity going on on the streets. People are out and about and there's dogs and children and you just feel like you've been transported to a different world and there's something about leaving your own cultural con text behind where you can see yourself in a multidimensional way. You can kind of observe yourself in this new way and really see 
some of your own, I don't know, like narratives that you've created and you can see with clarity that they're just not accurate and they're not helpful. And there's actually a more accurate, more helpful way to view your past and to view your present and to imagine what's possible in the future. Had just such a, a an amazing, joyful experience there that I thought, I, I don't want this to be it. I want to come back. And as a therapist who works with women, I think I can make this experience available to other women. And it seemed outlandish and like this kind of crazy goal to shoot for, but I thought, why not? And I met Marie through the uh, Soulbliss Journeys organization. She had kind of created the whole retreat for Megan. And then Megan was the retreat leader. And I was like, you know what? I could partner with Marie and do this. And so I came home, decided to do that, but I had to start from scratch. I didn't have any kind of, you know, I work in private practice. The only online presence I had at that time was our, our practice website with my bio on it. And, you know, with my social anxiety that I talked about earlier, part of that is social media posting anxiety, which sounds silly, but I never post on Instagram. You know, I never post on Facebook. I'm kind of one of those lurkers who reads articles and sees what other people are doing, but I don't really post a whole lot. Like maybe I'll say happy birthday to my kids on their birthdays and make a post. So I created this online um, account at Jane W. Ballard and started posting about sobriety, which was like totally uncomfortable. I felt like it was like I was coming out with this new identity that felt really vulnerable and scary and opening myself up for judgment and criticism. But I just stayed focused on the why, why I'm doing this. And there's a greater why than my, um, my ego getting bruised or rejection. And so I've stayed on that path and, um, sobriety simplified Bali is happening April 21st through 28th. And, um, the other absolutely amazing thing that I'm so excited about Bali is that now you are coming to, to help me lead, yeah, which I'm is so just excited. phenomenal. Yeah. So and mindful sobriety is going on the road. We're going to Bali. We are going to yeah. do some yeah. yoga and some healing activities, and we're going to explore the amazing natural beauty of Bali and the culture. And it's, it's just going to be phenomenal. I can't even express how excited I am about it. And none of this would have been possible had I not listened when I had that epiphany, you know, like you don't, at least me, I feel like I don't hear from God directly very frequently, but I'm pretty sure I did that morning. And I'm glad I listened because so much has been possible just in the 15 months since I let go of alcohol. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, like you said about hearing from God, we sometimes we find God in, in the least expected places. And Bali being where Eat, Pray, Love, one of the places it was filmed. Yes. If you have read the book or listened to the movie or the audio book. Yes, Elizabeth talks, Gilbert. 
Yeah, like so much of uh, what you'll experience in Bali is from the book. So it's super cool, even yes. as coming back to your driver being YN. The yes. book talks about how there's basically four names in Bali and every family names their child one of four names. And so YN is one of those names. Yes, YN is um, the firstborn. The second born, I'm probably going to mess this up. I'm pretty sure the second born is Kadak. Kadak? K-A-D-U-K, maybe? Kadak. The third born is Putu. And I can't remember the fourth born. There's probably not as many fourth borns running around. Right. Um, but it's really cool. So you'll meet several YNs. Um, yeah. One of my favorite things I did in Bali was this cooking class. And this woman named Putu, so I guess she was the third she invited our group into her home and it's it's it was one of the homes like in the village outside of Ubud and these village homes are kind of like little compounds where they have a temple and they make offerings in the temple multiple times a day and then they have like an outdoor garden attached and then the home and then there's usually multiple generations. And so uh, Putu was there with, I think her mom and her husband's mom were there. And then her children and her husband was there. And we cooked in their outdoor kitchen um, right next to where their garden is, where they grow their vegetables. And there's chickens walking around. And she showed us how to like steam rice on this outdoor, you know, wood burning stove. And it was just one of those experiences where you kind of ask yourself, like, how did I get here? How did I, you know, how was I in Dallas last week, you know, on my computer at my desk in my office? And now I am in this outdoor kitchen in a Balinese village, learning how to make traditional Balinese recipes. And, and she was so kind. She sent me all the recipes on WhatsApp and she was like, text me anytime. If you're at home making them and you have questions, let me know and I'll guide you through it. And it was just like, it was just one of those priceless experiences. Yeah. I think you probably came home and, and it's another one of the experiences that was like, my life will never be the same again. Yeah. In the best my life will never be the same again. And then, so the trip is perfect if you, or the retreat's perfect if people have been sober for a while, or if you're not even sober yet and you're just sober curious, this is a perfect opportunity as well. Absolutely. Like no time period of sobriety is required, no labels required, no commitments required. The only really thing we would, would hope for is that people will not drink while you're there. We want to support each other and maintain sobriety. But when you think about it, in, if you're in Bali, in one of the most beautiful places in the world with one of the most kind and generous cultures in the world, you really don't need it alcohol to have fun. Like it is just, it's beyond fun. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you're sober or sober curious, um, if you love to travel and have adventures and you want to hang out with some like-minded women who are interested in having meaningful conversation and personal growth and wellness, you know, this is for you. For sure. I, and honestly, I think this is the best thing for anybody that is sober curious because after spending a week in Bali with other women that are on an alcohol-free journey, I think that would be the most amazing way to start an alcohol-free journey. Oh my gosh, absolutely. 
And, you know, the beauty of it is that we still, you know, we have a group on WhatsApp with all the women who were on the retreat I went on and we talk on a regular basis and we celebrate milestones. And, you know, one of the women on the group just went through a personal tragedy and we've, you know, we've all been lifting her up and there for her along the way. And so it really is like you have this unique experience and you form lifelong relationships with people, even if they don't live near you. Like I'm the only woman from Texas who was on the trip, but you know, there were 12 of us from different states and, you know, we're still our own little, little family. Yeah. All right. Well, this was so fun. Um, I appreciate you, you know, listening and, you. And, <laughs> and asking me good questions. And uh, I, I always love talking about Bali. I start getting excited. Yeah. And, and um, the listeners can send us any questions they have for sure. We would love to answer them. And Absolutely. You Bali can find us like both on social media, on Instagram at Jane W. Ballard and at DFW Yoga Girl. And you can also email me any questions, Jane at Jane W. Ballard about Bali. And um, we also love our listeners and want to give you a discount on Bali. So if you, um, if you want to go, just mention the Mindful Sobriety Podcast for a $200 discount on the retreat. Thank you so much for joining us today. We value each and every one of you. Until next time, may you be safe, may you be well, may you be peaceful and at ease.